Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I'm Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts 9, verses 10 through 19. In our last session, we talked about the day that Jesus revealed himself to Saul, who would one day be known as the Apostle Paul. In the teaching, we learned how that encounter on the road to Damascus radically transformed his life. It was something that he never forgot. One commentator makes the following observation. Paul referred to his encounter on the road to Damascus as the start of his new life in Christ. He references it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, and Galatians 1, verses 15 through 16. At the center of this wonderful experience was Jesus Christ. Paul did not see a vision. He saw the risen Christ himself. Paul did not get religion. He was already a very religious man, He found a relationship with Jesus. Paul acknowledged Jesus as Lord, confessed his own sin, surrendered his life to Christ, and resolved to obey him. True conversion comes from a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and leads to a new life in relationship with him. In our teaching today, I would first like to take a look at Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 14. In this passage, Paul is beginning to give his defense to King Agrippa, and he says, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What Jesus said here might seem a little bit strange, so I want to discuss it for a moment. Jesus observed that it was hard for Paul to kick against the goads. What does that mean? Well, a goat was a long stick with a pointed end that was used to prod an ox or some other beast of burden in order to keep them moving. If the ox was stubborn, it might kick against the irritant of the goad. For Saul, one of the goads that the Holy Spirit was using in his life was the testimony of Stephen. Saul had been present during Stephen's trial. And he heard his entire argument of defense his testimony and death was something that Saul never forgot. And periodically he mentions it in his letter. Another goad was perhaps his doubts. Remember that he was close in age to Jesus. Jesus had been a very popular man throughout Israel for more than three years. Saul was a Pharisee and a student of Gamaliel who was present during Peter and John's trial. 
I think Saul might have seen Jesus, and certainly he had to have known about him during those ministry years. And Saul continued to hear about him as the church grew and as his followers began to talk about Jesus throughout Jerusalem, primarily that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he indeed is the promised Messiah. Dr. John Stott writes the following, With his conscious mind, he repudiated Jesus as an impostor who had been rejected by his own people and had died on a cross under the curse of God. But subconsciously, he could not get Jesus out of his mind. Had he ever seen him, met him? It is more than likely that they were contemporaries pretty close in age to one another. It is therefore probable that they both visited Jerusalem and the temple at the same time, in which case, is it possible, indeed highly likely, that the young teacher from Galilee and the young Pharisee from Tarsus would have looked into one another's eyes and that Saul would have heard Jesus teach? Even if they did not meet, Saul will have heard reports of Jesus' teaching and miracles, character, and claims together with a persistent rumor from many witnesses that he had been raised from death and seen. You know, I think the very fact that Saul was so zealous and such a fanatic about persecuting the church was an outward indication of his growing doubts and inner turmoil regarding the claims about Jesus that he was hearing from the followers of Jesus. Finally, at just the right moment, Jesus spoke. And Saul was finally ready to listen and believe. Have you been struggling with Jesus? Maybe you've had doubts, wondering if he really exists at all. So why not ask him? You could do that right now. Ask him if he really exists. Ask him to reveal himself to you. I think you will be amazed by what will happen if you do. Well, let's continue with Saul's story. We will now turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And Ananias went on his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with his disciples at Damascus. Saul had been humbled under the mighty hand of God. He was blind and had to be led into the city and brought to a house by the hand of another. He had been shaken to the core by his encounter with Jesus. His mind must have been racing, remembering the scriptures, remembering the persecutions and deaths that he was responsible for, remembering Stephen. For three days he neither ate nor drank anything. He simply prayed and prayed and prayed. And God ministered to him during those three days, giving him a fresh understanding into the scriptures that spoke about Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus did for his disciples after his resurrection? Let's take a look at that. The first passage is found in Luke chapter 24 when he walked with the two men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus had engaged them in conversation and they were telling him about the crucifixion of Jesus, whom they had hoped would be the Redeemer of Israel. And now they were getting reports that some women in their group had seen Jesus alive. We pick up their conversation in verse 21. But when we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with, with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus had been explaining to them many passages of scripture 
that they made direct reference to him, proving to them that he, Jesus, was the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Soon after that encounter, Jesus appeared to his disciples. In Luke 24, verses 44 and 45, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to the understanding the scriptures. The information was there. But they all needed Jesus and now the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual eyes and give to them understanding. This is what Saul was experiencing and so much more. In the meantime, Jesus spoke to Ananias, who lived in Damascus. Ananias was a devout Jew, who was also a believer in Jesus Christ. He was well known among the Jews in Damascus and respected. Saul's reputation as a persecutor of the church had reached him, and that would explain the reason for his hesitation. That's understandable, I think. And in fact, Saul's reputation as a violent persecutor was so great that Ananias actually reminded Jesus of what had been taking place in Jerusalem, that he had heard, as had all the believers in Damascus, that Saul was on his way to arrest the believers and take them to Jerusalem where they would stand trial and be killed for their faith. But all of that didn't matter. Jesus was in total control of this situation, and he had chosen Saul to be his servant to carry the gospel message to Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, who were the Jews. Ananias was also a chosen vessel. Although we know of Ananias all that we know of Ananias is only found in this passage. This one man actually had a huge impact on the church. I like what Warren Wearsby writes with regards to this. He writes this, We must never underestimate the value of one person brought to Christ. Peter was ministering to thousands in Jerusalem, and Philip had seen a great harvest among the Samaritan people. But Ananias was sent to only one man. Yet what a man! Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, and his life and ministry have influenced people and nations ever since. Even secular historians confess that Paul is one of the significant figures in world history. On April 21, 1855, Edward Kimball led one of his Sunday school boys to faith in Christ. Little did he realize that Dwight L. Moody would one day become the world's leading evangelist. The ministry of Norman B. Harrison is an obscure Bible conference, was used of God to bring Theodore Epp to faith in Christ. And God used Theodore Epp to build the Back to the Bible ministry around the world. Our task 
is to lead men and women to Christ. God's task is to use them for his glory. And every person is important to God. Do you sometimes feel like what you do in your particular ministry is very small and that it makes little difference in the grand scheme of things? If God has called you to do it, it is great and it has great value. Persevere in it with all your heart and God will use that offering of service that will touch many lives. Let me encourage you with these words from 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus said to Ananias on that day, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That was the message that Ananias was to tell Saul. That he was chosen by Jesus for specific work to a people group that he would never have talked to as a Pharisee. That he would take the message of Jesus far and wide. That he would suffer greatly for the name of Jesus. What a message to deliver to a blind man who is known to be the great persecutor of the church. Lesser men might have been tempted to refuse to go, but Ananias was Christ's obedient servant. And so he risked everything based on the word of Christ, and he went to Saul, who was residing in a house on Straight Street. In other words, Ananias obeyed Jesus. There is a verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. My question to you is this. Are you obeying Christ in doing the work that he has asked you to do? Have you asked him to reveal to you what it is that he wants you to do? Are you even willing to ask? Well, Ananias found Saul. And as the scripture says, in laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. It was a miracle. It has been said that the Christian hater from Tarsus had been handpicked by God to carry the name and message of Christ before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. 
For the rest of his life, Saul marveled that he would be the recipient of such mercy and grace, as well as be the appointee for such a noble task. Saul, who had caused horrible suffering for so many Christians, would find that he too must suffer. You know, Ananias was a great man, though he's often overlooked. His role was crucial for the successful evangelization of the world. I would consider him to be one of the Bible heroes of the faith because this faithful man was willing to go where God sent him. He was used by God to prepare a man who would evangelize most of the known world and write a significant portion of the New Testament. There are a great many lessons here, but one thing stands out to me. God can use anyone for his purposes and for his glory. He used Stephen, a man who waited on tables, but who was also faithful to go out and share the gospel. And although that ministry cost him his life, the impact of his death had a tremendous impact on one Pharisee. God used a violent, angry, judgmental man who was completely blind to Jesus and the teaching of the scriptures about Jesus, although he had been a student of the scriptures all his life. Yet when he came face to face with Jesus, he yielded his life and Jesus transformed him to be a humble yet mighty servant of God all the days of his life. And he used a man, one man, on a potentially dangerous errand to do one thing, to pray for Saul that he might be healed from his blindness. This man was the one who baptized Saul. This man told Saul that he would spend the rest of his life telling people about Jesus and he would suffer for it. God can use anyone who is willing to obey his call. You might be in ministry and perhaps God wants to take that ministry to the next level. Maybe you have been an enemy of Christ, but now you have come to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is a work for you to do. Maybe you have been a faithful, quiet servant. And God will use you. It really doesn't matter if your service is great or small. What matters is, are you willing to do whatever he asks you to do? Remember, God called an unknown disciple named Ananias for this task. This has been true throughout church history. Consider, John stopped his was the man who helped lead Martin Luther to Christ. Edward Kimball was just a shoe salesman, but he happened to be the, the one uh, to be the mentor of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Mordecai Ham was a little-known evangelist who preached the night that Billy Graham yielded his life to Christ. Christ. 
We never know how God might use us to touch a life that will in turn touch millions. Yield yourself to the purposes of God. Be faithful when he calls. Well, one final thought. Verse 19 of our passage says that after Saul's vision had been restored, and after he had been baptized, then he had some food and his strength returned. The next thing he did was to visit the disciples in Damascus. Can you just imagine what those conversations must have sounded like? First, he had to convince them of his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And then I'm sure he must have asked many questions with regards to the life and teaching of Jesus. From the time spent with them and from his three days spent in prayer and meditating on scripture, Saul would immediately begin to tell the people in Damascus about Jesus. And we'll take a look at that in our next teaching. This was the beginning of a ministry that would change the world forever. And we are recipients of that ministry today. This man, Saul, who would later be known as Paul, would write the majority of the New Testament books. Nothing would stop him. Not opposition and persecution, not chains, not even death, because the testimony that he left behind is still being used by God to this day. When Saul the Pharisee came to a faith in Jesus, it cost him literally everything. He was the rising star among the Pharisees in Jerusalem, but on that day, everything changed. Listen to what he says about the cost he chose to pay to be a follower of Jesus. It is found in Philippians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 1, he writes this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on, my friend. Press on. Do not give up. Do not be discouraged. God is with you. Put your trust in him. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be obedient to your call like Ananias was obedient even when it made no sense. I pray that we would be obedient to the call like Paul when you called him, even though it meant suffering, even though it meant loss of that which was precious to him, he was willing to pay whatever cost that he might know you, Lord Jesus, and to have fellowship with you, relationship with you. These men walked in obedience to your call. And I pray, Lord, that we would take up that same challenge and that we might purpose in our life to obey you, to walk with you, to serve you, and to do whatever you ask us to do, even if it makes no sense, and even if it means it will cost us something. Lord Jesus, you paid the highest price to purchase our salvation when you shed your own blood on the cross. May we be willing, O oh Lord, to follow you, whatever it is, wherever you send, whatever you ask, no matter the cost. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may God bless you as you faithfully follow and serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rejoice, my friend. Rejoice. <laughs>